This episode of the Curious Life podcast is brought to you by the sneaky treat company Melbourne, decadent sweet treats delivered to your door. Let your friends, family or clients know that you're thinking of them with a box of goodies and a personalised note to send along with your gift. TheSneakyTreatCo.com, you know you want to. Joshua Coombs is just amazing. You may have seen some photos on Insta or other socials of him transforming homeless people's overall look with just a haircut, which sometimes, along with the real talk that goes along with a haircut, has made the difference between that person and what their choices will be next. It's awe-inspiring. From such a humble man, from punk rocker to champion of the downhearted, Joshua is as entertaining as he is just a straight-up great human. Enjoy this chat as much as Yana did and don't forget to check out his book Do Something for Nothing, seeing beneath the surface of homelessness through the simple act of a haircut for some great stories and imageries. You'll meet Joshua Coombs in just a moment on the Curious Life podcast. Thank you so much for coming on the Curious Life today. I have like a whole page of notes that I would love to talk with you about in relation to your beautiful book, which I have the hardback copy of. And I've just like devoured it. It is such a beautiful book. And I was so moved by the stories in there. And I wasn't expecting to be as moved as I was. And right from the first story, I was completely hooked in. And it just has had my mind ticking over so many different things. And I'm just going to launch in. I just want to say to that point, like, I'm really happy you have the book with you. And thanks for thanks for taking the time to, yeah, to read it. And, and, and uh, yeah, I appreciate you. Well, I appreciate you writing it. Your life has taken a massive turn. You started out as a punk rocker, ended up working in a salon, and now you've been traveling the world, like uncovering these beautiful stories of people probably in the hardest moments of their life. How did you go from punk rocker to hairdressing to where you are today? I look back over the last 15 or so years of my life. I mean, I'm 34 now, so I guess maybe even the last 20 sort of you know, leaving school and it has, I suppose, been like a very interesting trajectory from school to where I'm at now. But when I look back from playing music, first of all, and then starting hairdressing and traveling more and doing what I do now, which is cutting hair on the street for, for people who are experiencing homelessness, there is this sort of common thread that runs through, which is a, I guess, a, I've always been really obsessed with people. And I'm not just in a way of hanging out with friends and family like and the people I have around me who I love very dearly it's it's been like interested in people's stories and interested in finding out what's going on beneath the surface punk music for sure was it had this ethos where you you kind of had you had this um it shone a spotlight on some people who I suppose were a bit left of center and a bit kind of on the fringes of society some people who albeit when I got into punk it was 25 years after it came into prominence in the UK and like the US, but there was this thing that remained, which was I, I failed all my exams at school. I didn't have any chance of going to A-levels, let alone university. It was either, you know, get a job in a warehouse or a factory or something where I, where I lived and or it was try and find something new. And yeah, music will be, you know, it didn't, it didn't pay me any money, but it was, it was like this community where if you were weird, you were in, you know, and, <laughs> and it was kind of like this, like 
this empathetic ethos to try and understand one another and try and go beneath the surface. And that I can see now was quite clearly kind of what led me to, to where I am and what I'm doing today. I knew that music wasn't going to last a long time because I was, you know, only ever getting paid enough to uh, cover petrol, me and like the four or five other people I played music with. And yeah, we played music, played a few festivals around Europe and had a really good time and it lasted for a good while. But yeah, mid-20s, that all ended for me and and hairdressing was, as I um, mentioned in the book, it wasn't something that I had this real burning passion for. I really loved the industry, but it wasn't something that I'd even thought about before. But I just walked past the salon one day and decided that I could maybe try my hand at that and, and ask for a chance. Interesting that they gave you that shot because that sort of was the turning point in terms of where you are now and transforming your life. How long were you working in the industry before you started that first time that you met with somebody on the street and offered them a haircut? Well, it's, it's actually, I was only working in the salon for three, maybe nearly four, three and a half years. What I realised quickly is, is I mean, I, I thought I'd be working in the salon for a long time then because I thought I'd done a bit of a career change. I'd shifted from playing music before to now working as a hairdresser. And once I got past that stage of like feeling confident in what I was doing, I really did enjoy that life. I really enjoyed that job. I thought this is going to be the next chapter for me for several years now, maybe possibly run my own salon one day or whatever that might look like. But yeah, it was it was probably only about three, three or four years working in the salon until I first had my entry into do something for nothing and what I'm doing now or what's become which was just this one moment with someone I met on the street who's you know I mean one of thousands of people in the UK who are experiencing homelessness one of hundreds of people I've walked by in, in in London and I had this curiosity to find more about this issue and and it came in the form of a haircut when I was on the way to someone else's house to cut their hair outside of work one day and, and I didn't make it because I stopped and I spoke to someone and offered them a drink and bought them a cup of tea and and suddenly remembered I had my my things on me in my backpack and offered them a haircut and it's, it's weird because there are moments you look back in life where you think it was a real turning point or so, something that happened and for me very clearly that was it was, you know, it was only an hour and I, I know a haircut's going to grow out after a few months. And none of this is, 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 I, I realized in that first experience that it, it was about this like time to, to listen and this conversation and connecting with someone who's in quite a vulnerable place who before I just had these certain opinions of what this issue looked like from the outside. Um, there weren't negative or judgmental opinions. I felt compassionate to why someone might end up in this position, but I honestly, I'd never really had the chance to stop and speak to someone and, and spend that time. And within a few weeks, my mind was really completely opened up to, to so many people who are in this, in this, this, you know, different walks of life, different places who, you know, I started giving haircuts to, to men and women and doing it on my day off. And yeah. And, and honestly, after a few months of that, it just completely changed my life, to be honest, because within, like from the outside, this really what can be a very stigmatized issue and lots of stereotypes surrounding homelessness. You've just got human lives, people who I started meeting who dissolved all these opinions I feel people might hold and just gave me so much learning about the human experience and the human condition and some of the ways we need to treat this better and more holistically. And yeah, I just had this great understanding of like, yeah, how, how kind of, important your time can be as well like just listening because of course people I was seeing they needed somewhere to sleep that night and sometimes looking for their next meal or whatever else it might be but I knew the haircut wasn't solving that side of it but there was this piece of the puzzle that was kind of really important I could feel for the people I'd met 
to just be listened to, to just be heard, to be recognized as a human, to be treated with dignity and worse. Otherwise, you might not get too much of that on a day-to-day basis. So it's all about that human connection. That's such an interesting point because for so many people, in fact, the theme was present throughout the book, and I'm sure you hear these stories all the time, that so many of the people you were talking to said, if you would told me a year ago that I was going to be here on the street begging for food and trying to scramble for a roof over my head, I would have laughed at you. That really hit home that this can really happen to anybody and that mm-hmm. these are just people like the rest of us. And a year ago, some of them were in homes and jobs and tragic things happened in their lives and they're in this terrible situation as a result. The other part that you mentioned before about having the not necessarily negative opinions or judgments about people, but I think a lot of people are maybe afraid to talk to somebody Mm. that they're walking past who looks like they're Mm. having a hard time. And so what was it about that person that drew you in to actually take the time and and sit and talk with them? Yeah, the the first person I had this this moment with, the first person whose hair I cut who was living on the street, it was... um... It was someone who was very charismatic, who was quite kind of open to conversation. It was helpful to to meet somebody who was in a position where they wanted to interact with people passing by, because oftentimes that's not the case. And oftentimes it isn't all that easy. It is a challenge. You know, you've got people who are in all kinds of different mm. places and suffering in, in different ways. And, and I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say it is always an easy interaction when you're faced with someone whose life might look very different from your own, from the outside. But a lot of it is superficial in the sense that what I didn't do is, the best way I could describe it is, I didn't think too much about it. And I think the key is sometimes just really acting in a way that you would to to anybody else, even though it may seem insensitive, the idea that like someone's clearly in a, a difficult position, they haven't got a roof over their head. There's all kinds of like things that are going on in their life that, that might be very different than your own. But to place a kind of almost like a pedestal where you are and only focusing on the economical aspect and the material aspect of like what you have and what somebody else doesn't it doesn't breed the most authentic connection Mm. and it's just about trying to say like you know when you meet someone at a dinner party you haven't met anymore you know first time you're introduced to somebody or whatever it's like what are you thinking about there you're not thinking about all the things that they have that you might not you're just saying hello you're just saying how are you you're just picking up a conversation and, and honestly I realize now looking back that yeah, it was, it was a good entry point for me to, to meet somebody who was like, who was really open for that conversation. But actually a lot of my, um, my own thoughts and my own internalizing of like what I should and shouldn't do was the barrier that I'd created. It wasn't the barrier that the person, the man or the woman who's like in this difficult position had created. A lot of the people that I'd see, I do see on like a regular basis now. It's not them who's got the issue with talking to the people who are passing by it's people passing by who have got an issue or like have a have a barrier in place interacting with them and honestly I, I see really clearly now and I, I understand and I empathize I never point a finger or make people feel guilty I'm like a lot of the time we get in our own way because we're too worried about what's right and what's wrong and should I say this or should I say that and sometimes you just got to put yourself on the line and go do you know what what's the worst case scenario what happens if I smile at someone I say how are you and I spark up a conversation what someone tells you to go away they tell you to f off they tell you to like to 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 get lost and maybe they even shout at you and I'm saying that's like the worst worst case scenario but 
what have you lost there really I approach people in the middle of a day, day in a busy city. I don't go out at nighttime in a new place. I've never been before wandering down a dark alley. You've still got to keep your, um, you know, like your yeah. instinctual part of yourself that kind of senses what is a good situation, what is a bad one. So you read yeah. energy. But, you know, after you've done that, I always think back now and I, and I do I do have a lot of empathy for people because I know it doesn't seem easy from the outside. But honestly, sometimes when someone even looks like they might not want to talk to you, I've had interactions where you, you just build trust and you just open up that conversation and it is a challenge but it's about a challenge that you gotta want to accept because at the end of it there's something really beautiful which is having an authentic like chat with someone who might be outside of your immediate circle and what that means to them can be really huge but I'm, I'm also not gonna lie it means a lot to you as well because it makes you grow in some way it kind of makes you yeah I, I think it's important to participate like in these kind of interactions with people outside of your immediate remit of your circle of, of, of people who are close to you yeah absolutely it's quite an intimate thing giving somebody a haircut and for a lot of these people, I imagine it, it's probably quite an emotional thing for them. You know, some of them may not have been touched and had human touch for a long time, especially in a caring way like that and with a stranger. Mm. Have you found that some of the people you've met might have felt a little bit overwhelmed by the experience? Yeah, I have. And actually, um, I've had to question in my learning of going out and meeting people who are clearly sometimes just not having the kind of interactions we'd have each day, not having the kind of emotional connections that a lot of us might hopefully have in our own lives. And sometimes words like love can look very different to certain people who've been without that for a long time. I always remember there was somebody I met in Los Angeles and he was this guy who was sleeping underneath an underpass, this bridge where there was tents and trash and quite a few other people sleeping there. And I walked under there with my backpack and first of all, everyone thought I'd taken a wrong turn because they caught my accent and they're like, what the hell are you doing here? Because the tourist stuff's over that way, man. And I was like, no, I'm coming to have a chat with you guys. And and there was this guy who, he was this really built dude. I found out he was an ex-boxer. He used to fight and, and box. He was actually pretty good. He was semi-pro. But he had dirt all over him and in Cleveland sleeping outside. And mm. honestly, it was quite a cagey inter inter interaction to begin with. Like he wasn't all that sure of like my intention. And when I said, hey, I'm a hairdresser and a barber. And actually, I, sometimes I cut hair on the street. And if, if you like, I could do that for you. But over the course of the next two days, reason being because I, I cut his hair that day and started off with a, a little bit of a conversation. And he opened up slightly during the haircut. But I could tell he was still a little bit coy and wasn't too sure. But whilst we hung out that first day, he told me about this uh, boxing gym. that He knew there were some people who still cared about him and might still give him a chance. But he had all this this pride of like, I can't go back there. Like, I don't want people to see me like this. A lot of things have gone wrong in his life. He grew up in a really difficult neighborhood. Told me about having to fight to survive from like the very beginning of his life. So not having like an emotional support network, not having a financial support network. We decided to meet the next day with the idea of going to walk to this place where he might have some people who could help him and just see him whether they could give him some advice or just reconnect him to some people that he knew. And um, we met the next day at 10 a.m. And on the way there, there were these moments um, where he wasn't sure that he wanted to continue based on the fact that his appearance was still, he still had on dirty clothes. And I remember there was this moment when um, we went, went into a thrift store and I bought him a new, new t-shirt and some new pants, trousers. And like outside, I, I noticed there was still some dirt on his neck that I hadn't like wiped off from the day before with these little facial wipes I carried. So I asked him to sit down for a second and like I sprayed some water on him and started like wiping his neck. And there was this moment where 
he I remember he physically pushed me away like pushed me off him and he was like what the hell are you doing man like what what's going on and I was sort of taken aback and I said what do you mean and he said like why are you showing me this love I don't understand like it was this very confusing moment I could see like a it was he was he, he wasn't used to the idea of someone helping him out without there being a catch and you could see physically there was this aggression that came out where he was like I you know I, he needed to check what was going on and I said I didn't have to talk him around but I said I was really honest of it to be honest man like I don't really know what I'm doing but I don't know why I'm here but it just feels right I just feel like this I'm up for walking to this place of you and there's no strings attached here and it took like five minutes for him to sort of come around and have this conversation but there's these little light bulb moments I have whilst I'm doing the work I'm doing and it's like yeah for him like love looks completely different to me like I didn't grow up with very much like my mum I grew up in a single parent family and my mom looked after me and two sisters and had to work a couple jobs to do so. And yeah, it wasn't all that easy, you know, but I had love at home. I had like this like unconditional, strong woman in my life who was like, let me fail and come back again and looked after me through the moments where like I was, wasn't doing well and I was messing around and I was doing things I shouldn't have done. And like, I always have that idea of like, I, I know what love feels like when it's unconditional, but for him, it had always been conditional. And you could tell in this moment that like, it was played out in a simple interaction of like me wanting to help him out. There was a struggle there for him. And there's so many depths and like complex layers to this stuff because we often think about helping people out just, you know, with 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 the basics and, and being able to provide someone a home and and, you know uh like you know shelter and food and 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 all of the things that are like the basic minimum requirements and even those are like often like we lack the funds and, and will to truly to truly systemically change those but there's this big missing piece to to most of this stuff for me and it's the holistic care the therapeutic care to like make someone feel reconnected to something again to themselves again just the, the history of someone that you'll meet, you're, you're meeting someone on this day and they've had this whole life. And the reason why I think the book's important is there's a bit more time to like touch on like the themes that run underneath this stuff. Mm. And it's not even directly, I'm sure you'll agree sometimes, it's just in their words and it's just played out in like the kind of people that I met along the way that you, you realize they're human beings who, if the same things had happened to you and I, they will have done to many people listening to this. It takes time. It takes time to, to, to work through things in your own life. And for a lot of the people that I've met, including this guy I met in LA, it was just like, there's these moments where I go, God, yeah, of course. Like, of course, people must seem ungrateful sometimes when someone tries to help them. Of course, people sometimes act and behave in all kinds of different ways than you might be used to with the, the connections you share with people around you. Because until you sit down and listen, until you find out about someone's life, none of that's clear. But when you do, you're suddenly greeted with like this amazing clarity that it actually makes it better because you start to understand. You're not seeing this thing from the outside anymore and thinking like, oh my God, how is, like, because it can be overwhelming. How are we ever going to solve this thing, homelessness? How are we going to solve all these problems we face? And it's just, it's just about a new approach. It's just about an empathetic, loving approach to like provide all of the things that we need in our own life to someone who's who's in sometimes the most vulnerable places in our city. And, and I see a lot of hope there because if we could switch the way we kind of, we kind of fund this and, and, and provide more people and create more jobs for, for people who actually are trained and professional and, and know how to really care for people psychologically as well. Like, I think 
would drastically see this thing change you know mm -hmm. so yeah but to finish the point like yes it is it is difficult sometimes to to navigate like each of these interactions for me when i go out and i cut hair for people but I go out, go out there now with like a very low benchmark of expectation. And I think it's the best way to, to go out and do anything in some ways, because I'm not trying to go out and save people. I'm not trying to go out and like help people because I have all this stuff and they don't. I'm just trying to have a conversation and, and have a chat and connect. Yeah. And I think that's the beginning of everything. Sometimes that leads to like a friendship that blossoms and other times it's just that, that one day and I'll, I'll never see someone. So, this podcast is called The Curious Life. You'll hear next how Joshua Coombs resonates with this podcast title as he and Yana talk about how the questions you ask yourself mean more than you know to other people. There's a lot of people stories in this book that you come back to, that you say you've checked in and you keep catching up. And it's often not just that one interaction. And there are some really happy endings for some of these beautiful people that you've had these really important moments with. And that's really heartwarming because often when you hear stories like this, you don't get to see kind of what happens. The curious life, you know, I'm very curious. That curiosity that you're talking about isn't, I think for me, that's everything that I do in, 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 like in a nutshell, because Sometimes when I'm, I'm out on the street, no matter what city it was, obviously it's become more difficult to travel and, and, and do this in, in different cities now the pandemic's come along. But right here in London, wherever I am, there's always something interesting that happens when I'm cutting hair on the street and people are passing by and they'll stop and, and chat. And when young children walk past, without hesitation, they'll come and say hello and not think about what they're doing. And they have this innocence of just wanting to come and chat and, and see what's up. And usually there's a couple of different types of parents and it's some people who pull their kid away and grab their hand a bit tighter and, and sort of say, come along now. Or there's the other type of parent who like, like let that in, you know, let that play out. Yeah. Maybe give them some money to come and give, introduce yeah. some of the little ones to like the person whose hair I'm cutting and I'll foster a bit of that conversation too. I'll say, Hey, this is, this is someone, this is David, this is Claire, whoever. And these amazing conversations happen and it's all healthy and it's all fine but sometimes we're um we're losing that curiosity yeah. you know we're losing that curiosity to to just just yeah it's like it's like a little switch isn't it it's like you can go out each day and really honestly i think it's it's a fundamental difference on how you live your life or not if, if you can when when you can remember to to go out with that curiosity each day with that openness with the kind of maybe when you can being available for people around you that's kind of what my mission is really because i can plan ahead for the future and think about the next book and think about the next project but like honestly i'm only as good as who i am today when i walk out in this world and try and when i can like be open to people and i know that some days it's not possible either because some days you do need that solitude and i do need to like not talk to anyone at all and that's totally cool but yeah it's just a really important word i think to sum up this whole thing for me You've just reminded me of an interaction that I had with my eldest child, actually, who's nearly five. And I was out for a walk with my dad and with him. And we came across a guy that it was, you know, late in the afternoon. And he was, we were in a park near a railway station. And he was looking like he was trying to settle down for the night somewhere yeah. near the train tracks. And it was a really small sort of quiet area. And I said to my dad, do you have your wallet on you? Let's go and talk to this guy. So we just started chatting with him and 
my dad had 20 bucks or something on him. He's like, come on, mate, why don't you take this? And he's like, no, no, I'll be getting paid tomorrow. I'll, I'll be all right. And we almost had to insist that he just take it and just, you know, go and get himself something to eat at least. And he was just so lovely and gentle and I don't know. He didn't really want anything from us. He was in a terrible situation. He had all his stuff with him. It wasn't just like one night, but he was obviously been holding out for maybe the last six days of the week, waiting for some money to come in from the government. And my son often refers to him. And if we drive near that, he'll say, what happened to that man that was living at the train station? So we talk about it. And I showed him your book this afternoon, actually. He just had so many questions. And like you were saying, it's that curiosity. What's she doing? And oh, she's got nice hair. And just like, you know, it was just a really beautiful little moment. And I hope that these little things just stay with him as you say, into his adult life. It's incredibly important teachings that you're, you're, you're giving your children in, in, in that way. It's not something to be afraid of, the suffering that we see in life. It's not something to, to shy away from and pretend it doesn't exist. It's something to to get real about and to, to educate each other about and, and to think of better ways that we can all perhaps do our own version of of, of of trying to positively affect one another's lives for the better, you know, while we're here on this earth. And otherwise what happens is I worry that if you sort of keep on putting a cork in that kind of bottle of what we're talking about, that curiosity and kind of, it's, it's only going to pop off one day in your adult life. And you're going to kind of, you're going to be overwhelmed by this kind of awakening of like all the things around you might, you might not have had a chance to think about yet. I just think it's so important from an early age to un- understand that yes, we might not be able to fix everyone's problems overnight, but that shouldn't stop us from creating this barrier of the basic thing that we can all do, which is have a conversation with one another. Yes, it's not all that easy, but nothing is. And honestly, it's funny because I want to address it for a moment with you, kind of like I know the negativity and some of the stereotypes surrounding this, because of course, yes, you have got people who have issues with addiction. You do have mental health issues. You do have people who are behaving sometimes in ways that you might not be used to. It's not always easy, but as far as like being in danger, honestly, I can tell you that through hundreds of haircuts, through different cities and different towns that I haven't been to before, and I've gone out with my scissors, my clippers, with the intention of meeting people who are often the most hard up in a city, like I've never felt in danger. And yes, I've kept my wits about me and like tried to make sure I follow my nose in the best way to keep myself safe. I can tell you the times I've felt really in danger and that's been when I used to go out to a club at night and queuing outside a club a Saturday coming out at like 2am on a Saturday night or whatever like that's dangerous and like that's like walking around (laughs) a city at night and funnily enough the ironic thing is we all get completely fooled into thinking that like just because people are intoxicated and it's kind of legal and it's prescribed and sold in bars to us and on adverts on the telly, it's all good. And it's like, honestly, the most dangerous situations I've felt are out at night in cities and towns where people have got all kinds of alcohol inside them. And I have been like beaten up. So my, I, I get it. Like, it's not always easy, but this stuff, no one I've met has ever been harmful towards me in any way. And yes, I, I, I'm not going to say it takes experience and time. I've walked through some neighborhoods where yeah, it is really difficult and and I've I've, I'm working a lot on understanding addiction and and a lot of the things that come with that and that's another conversation entirely but even when the layers of like how complicated someone's life is and like all of the layers of they might have kind of built around them that might sometimes seem really hard and spiky it's like there's usually a human underneath there who like has still has hopes and and dreams and has the same feedback loops we do in our 
neurology to, to need that oxytocin and serotonin, which usually comes from the smallest of human interactions and someone giving a shit about you. And I think it's, yeah, it's a challenge I've come to like really accept now. Sometimes it's beautiful and it's, and it's great. And I'm cut someone's hair and hand them in the mirror at the end. And there's this big transformation and the haircut itself plays a really interesting role for that. And other times it can be quite dark and quite difficult and, and quite, yeah, quite challenging, I suppose, is the best word I'd come back to again. But I've had moments like that. Well, when you go back and you see someone again and again and you build that trust, it's what life's about. Mm. You know, seeing each other through, like, we can connect in joy and euphoria. And I know a lot of people find that easier to do so. And I, I love those kind of connections too. But we've got to have, learn how to connect more in the darkness and in, in the despair and in the what can look like very difficult complicated situations sometimes because that's as authentic that connection it's as important it's as valuable in fact I'd go as far to say it's more valuable to the person when when you can reach out to someone when they're at their ugliest you know I'm glad we're on video now but if not <laughs> if someone's listening to this I'm doing quotation marks with my hand because the reason I say the ugliest is because I talk about myself in that moment. I think about the ugliest moments for me in my life when I've made mistakes and I've, I've not been my best version of who I know I potentially can be. Yeah. And uh, I, I get the privilege of, of locking my, my door to the world each day and being able to, those moments, most of the time, be able to play out in, within, you know, context of my own personal relationships and in, in my house but a lot of the time for people on the street that isn't the case they've got to live their life out in front of everyone all the time and yeah I just I've, I've learned how to if I could take one lesson from all the work I've done and, and hopefully it comes across in the book is like when you reach out and you go beyond and you do try and connect in those more difficult scenarios of life like you're rewarded with something there that's like incredibly beautiful incredibly beautiful and it's it's like it's become more important to me to try and to try and foster those kind of connections because to be able to allow for someone else's bad day to be able to allow for someone else's difficult situation and their suffering is to allow for my own all of us like wherever we are right now like I don't think anyone's arrogant enough to say like you can actually see what your life's going to pan out like for the next 10 years mm. but you've got to hope that if shit goes wrong even in your best control of trying to make sure it goes right but you want to live in a place in a society in a neighborhood in a community where people allow you time and people are there for you in those moments you know a hundred percent and particularly now more than ever what would you say to those people you always hear that line oh well I'm not going to give him any money because he's just going to go and spend it on drugs yeah you no know, that's like the common we hear that everywhere what would you say <laughs> to someone like that it's a really good point it's like my friend Scarlett she created this organization called Crack Insider and it was like a complete play on on that stereotype so they sell and they they raise money for people who are living on the street through through buying certain selling certain items that you can you can buy specifically for people but yeah i've heard that kind of here it is exactly the same people are just going to spend their money on on drugs or alcohol so i don't want you know i'm not going to give my money to somebody and it's like that's totally cool i, I don't even i don't even try and say or really try and uh, take on that 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 challenge of winning someone over i just feel like okay that's fine I can look at my own life rather than judge other people and say, I know that there's certain things that I do. Uh, okay, I oh know, you know, I, maybe I, it is good to provide a clear answer to this because I'd say that when you're buying something from a shop, are you really thinking about like where your money is being spent after you, mm. after you leave it with someone at that till? When you're buying something 
for your car? Are you, are you thinking about where that money's going after you, you, you hand that over, those thousands of yeah. dollars to, to, to that person? Why would you do the same with someone who's this individual who's clearly in this difficult position? And honestly, cut, I want to cut it how it is. Like, I don't, like, don't want to become part of someone's problem or the idea of me giving some money that's going to make them suffer more. But the truth is a lot of the time, if someone's really at the sharp end, they're, they're looking for a score and they're out on the street. It's like, I actually don't think it's going to be make any difference me starving them of like the support that I can give them. If they're, if they're in that position anyway, I'm not saying I want to give them money directly to buy drugs or alcohol, but I'm like, sometimes when people are that hooked on something, there's a desperation there that people get it some way, some, somehow people are going to get it some way, somehow me, me being like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to be your moral compass here of telling you that, no, I'm not going to give this to you. It's like, that's all very well, but just think about what is it you actually care about here? Because if you really care about them, that doesn't help them in any scenario either. It's a very complicated situation. And one thing I'd say is that addiction and the way we view drug users and the way we more importantly criminalize people who are drug users, there's a really big difference between someone dealing this stuff than users on the street scrabbling around for their next fix. Because I'm telling you, so many of the people that I see, there's a pain underneath there. There's masking, usually a traumatic event that's happened so many complex issues that I don't want my empathy to stop at that point of, I know a lot of people it is like, I'm just going to wash their hands of them because they're using drugs or alcohol. And it's like, it just seems illogical to me. It's like, we all patch up our own life with certain ways that we're addicted to things, whether it be our phone and constantly scrolling, whether it be need to, to go out and meet our mates at the pub at the weekend. Some people are addicted to all kinds of things that might look different than like putting a needle in your arm but like ask yourself what are the things that distract you in your life what are the things that you need that take your mind temporarily away from the reality because sometimes it's difficult and it's like it's the same thing it's just a, a a deeper version and I think we need some more education around this and I do give talks to schools and, and try and go in and, and kind of open this stuff up and, and get in a bit deeper so we can start to view these things differently what is really difficult with this conversation is it's the behaviors that follow the fierce kind of nature of addiction that can sometimes just seem so autonomous from the user that is like it's a choice someone's making it's like the easiest way for us to and has been in history to dehumanize people and from the outside it's so easy to do so because it's like if only you tried harder look there you are you've got all the help you need mm -hmm. but you just don't want it because look you're going to you're going to destroy yourself and you'll keep on doing so and it's like ah, oh, it's just it's so much more complicated, you know, it's just so much more complicated. People have, um, yeah, people, we've got, we've got to see this differently for the sake of not just people who are in this position, but for the sake of families who are affected, for the sake of yourself, because like, there's also, there's also just one point to make on that to maybe finish up, which is like, if you're trying to get to sleep underneath a railway bridge in the middle of winter, um, and it's raining, and your sleeping bag soggy, and all your belongings are wet, and you're thinking back to a life, perhaps, that you once had and you're looking around you and no one's there and you have the opportunity to perhaps take something to see you through to the morning and feel numbed to 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 the scenario that you're in like ask yourself that question like i mean the elements themselves the scenario itself being out on the street is enough alone to make a lot of people go you know what yeah pass me some of that a hundred percent a hundred percent and as you said most of us are doing that anyway we're all drinking at night or taking a sleeping tablet or whatever else on the weekends. It's a level of hypocrisy. Well, I, what certainly, and, and, and one thing I would say, people listen to this because I've, you know, I know I'm brushing on these points just slightly like 
there's there's someone who actually had a chat with before and gave me a quote for the book who's an amazing amazing source of knowledge on this and his name's Johan Hari and I recommend reading his book Chasing the Scream it's basically the first and the last of the war on drugs he goes through from the history of the war on drugs and kind of how we look at drug users and and addiction or watch his TED talk um online because it just it just it just gives a whole new perspective on this. There's lots of people doing amazing things to do the work to to get us rethinking, reimagining how we can deal with this for the future. And what's been happening in the UK, like in Australia, throughout COVID, the government has been putting a lot of people who are on the streets into hotels. If that can be done, why isn't that being done outside of a global pandemic? Is there anything similar happening in the UK? Yeah, the, the hotels and the scheme to get people inside was was it was really prominent at the beginning of the pandemic, the first mm-hmm. lockdown here. And it did, as you mentioned, there's a really good point. It made you realize, hang on a minute, when there's the true like will to get people inside, when there's that urgency because people were incubators for this virus, suddenly like, yes, let's make sure everyone is inside or as best as possible. Mm-hmm. And it almost does just highlight the fact of like, uh, yeah, there's plenty of empty spaces that aren't being used. It doesn't matter with the hotels, because I understand hotels have to go back in business. Now the economy is going again. But it's like, there's plenty of empty space in London. There's plenty of innovative, creative, new schemes we could think of. It's about what's behind the urgency, because I think like the pandemic, what the reasoning behind the urgency was like this kind of like pressure to make sure the virus didn't spread because it affected all of us, you know? Mm. I think we need, like, compassionate urgency behind this issue anyway. If the kind of urgency we saw in the pandemic was already, like, you know, like, if it was fueled with compassion and kind of actually wanting people inside because we don't want to live in cities where you're walking by hundreds of people and you can clearly see, hang on a minute, I'm in London or I'm in Melbourne, there's a lot of seems like there's enough affluence and prosperity in this city to be able to like lift people up just a little bit so we can have a bit of a a better version of what support and help looks like it doesn't mean we flip into this socialist society where we all share every little last piece of what we have like i don't have too much of a political conversation to try and divide people with this and i think you notice that in the book it's like whatever your political view whatever your standpoint whatever your lifestyle i think we can all agree on the basics which is we don't want to live in cities where nearly a thousand people in the uk died on the street last year only three percent of those were covid related regardless of the pandemic people are still not making it through the winter here i know it's the same in australia like whatever your standpoint like i'm pretty sure we can agree that that's not like that cost of human life to, to people it's, it's like not anything that we, not any, any, no one wants that on their, on, on their conscience. And I feel that not only that, but, you know, it's about just the best standard of support. It doesn't mean you not having what you need in your life or the, all the things around you to, to, that you enjoy. It's just more urgency for raising the standard of like what help looks like. Because on that point of hotels and all that scheme and everything that happened, I can talk from the UK and this standpoint, it's like, it's becoming quite clear now that people I've seen on a regular basis more recently who were put inside in hotels, some of them left after like three days because they had bed bugs and the conditions were so poor. Not all of them, some of them were okay, but it's like some of these places, the hotel, hostels and what help looks like, it's like, you want, you're not booking, you're not booking to stay in there you and your family and your yeah. kids like trust me you're not it's i've been in some of these places so it's raising the standard of when someone 
is struggling and someone drops out of society and needs like a hand up. It's, it's not a dignified process a lot of the time. So all the funding and the will to support people, it needs this like massive like injection of like, imagine this was your son or your daughter. Where would you want them to sit? I'm pretty sure it wouldn't be some of the places that I've been in. You're not going to get someone reconnected or like back on their feet, as it were, without like making someone feel dignified, making them feel like a human, treating them with respect. If small talk is not your thing, you're in good company. Joshua and Yana explore more how real talk can change a world. How does somebody go out and get a job if they haven't had a haircut? The transformations in some of the pictures in your book are so unbelievable. They could go and apply for a job that minute, the way that so many of them looked. And I know there's obviously so much more to it. Honestly, it's, I, I sometimes am so deep in this thing, I forget about the haircut itself. So I think it's a really important <laughs> point to like be able to like talk about. So 100%, like the way that I see some people look in the mirror at the end of the haircut sometimes, it just makes you realize there's things that we all need in our own life to feel like who we are, our identity, the clothes we put on each day, being able to just wake up and have the things around us that make us feel like us. And giving someone a haircut is this really simple way to make someone feel good in like 45 minutes or an hour that I spend with them. Honestly, some of my favorite ones, mate, are like where you just, you see someone's like the worry lines in their forehead just kind of like relax a bit and just kind of like their shoulders a little bit higher. Yeah, sometimes it's not this huge kind of transformative moment, but you can see the transformation within the kind of the deserving, feeling like you're you're deserving of someone's time and attention, you know? If someone's come to you as well, because I like to go to people where they are and not there's anything wrong to go and get a service in a hostel, but I always apply these things to my own life. And I think if I was always there, like Oliver Twist style, like with my hands out, like, please, sir, can I have some of this? Can I have some of that? Can you do this for me? I need to stay here tonight. I oh, know I'm on the phone to this hotline trying to get this next hostel I live in. It's like, oh my God, I just feel so awful. Yeah. I just feel like this charity case, awful, like, because you respect yourself, like, respect i just i just feel like terrible about it i just be like just the process that i've navigated with some people of like having to constantly be this kind of like please can i have this so if someone coming to you and going like hey what's up and like me setting up my things and they're sat where they were before and you know it's cool yeah. it's cool it's like sometimes i was in doing this in south america once in ecuador and like there was this it's not in the book but there was this guy who sat on this bench in the square and like He'd cle- he was clearly sleeping outside and, and like hadn't had a haircut for ages. And by the end of the haircut, once I cut his hair, someone had um, booked him to have this shoe shine. Also, there was this guy who shined shoes. And by the I always remember this moment where he had this new haircut and he was getting his shoes shined by someone because there was this big crowd that formed and someone had bought him some food. By the end of the haircut, he had like some lunch, reading the paper, <laughs> getting his shoe shine, fixed up, nice shave. And I was like, this is cool. This is really yeah. like it's. You know, because like, yeah. it's just these simple little things, but it made him suddenly feel like, you're right, it was suddenly like this transformation of like, oh, it's a pretty normal experience. Imagine you just went out and you got a haircut and then you took yourself for some lunch and you're reading the paper, but he got to experience that where he was. And it was just like, there's always nice little moments like yeah. that where I'm like, yeah, like I try and make people feel like, yeah, you're special. You're special because mm. honestly, like everyone I meet is as important as 
anybody else want around the city each day to me like it's like they are as important they are as valuable like i in fact the interactions i have and the conversations i have like i'd be lying if i told you like i'm so sick of like these surface chats i used to have when i was like a barfly going out in london and, and being seen and being like hey what's up let's just scan each other rather than actually talking to each other like let's just look each other up and down and decide whether we're cool enough to talk to each other today it's like yes. i am done with that i just like i know it's a certain period of your life and i'm not there anymore and it doesn't serve me but i just the people conversations i have with people they're real i hope that more people pick up what you're doing, just the, even using the hashtag do something for nothing and finding a moment in your life where you can do something for nothing. And what a good feeling that is for you and for somebody else. And that's what should yeah. be making the world go round. Thanks. Because do something for nothing itself is like, it's just this reminder. It made sense to me when I started doing this a long time ago, when I started posting people's before and after photos on Instagram will hope they'd read this story and would get to learn about people's lives you might not often have the chance to talk to and do something for nothing is just everyone does this each day when we remember anyway if you if you if you hold that door open for someone you you smile at your bus driver when when you're you're about to get on or you phone your mate who you know might not be doing all that well at the moment and you haven't heard from for a while to be available when we can be. Other people have got involved from the beginning with do something for nothing in ways that have constantly kept me inspired to continue. People with tangible skills that they can directly help people or people just DMing me on Instagram saying, hey, do you know what? I used to walk by this person who, who was outside this train station who I saw every day, and but now I talk to them. Now I know their name. Now I know I bought them their favorite book the other day and actually like I'm going to this meeting with them now. And like they've become connected with people they wouldn't have usually so uh, this thing keeps growing in different ways and yeah i urge anyone listening to this like yeah please get involved because it's not a not-for-profit or a charity you don't have to sign up and register this is like an open space if there's someone you know about who's doing something cool in their community who's, who's going to go out there and, and positively affect the lives of people around them talk about it because it does inspire others this is not about like taking a selfie as you're helping someone in yeah. some like cringy awful way to show how good you're doing it's about humanity and like showing that we can all participate in different ways and the book itself is an amazing way of doing that because 100 of my proceeds go to future not-for-profit art projects the book's full of stories of different people i've met from europe to america to australia um and some other places in between men and women who yeah i, I know their stories are going to resonate and the messages in there are, are going to reflect a lot of those that we experience in our own lives I could honestly just talk to you all day. I've got so, so many other questions for you, but I, I mean, I've taken up a lot of your time already. So what is coming up for you next, Josh? I am looking to, as soon as I can, I mean, I'm back out on the street cutting air more often now. Restrictions have lifted here in London. Before the pandemic, the last big trip I did was actually to Australia, to Melbourne, where you are. And um, I put on an art exhibition there with our friends, Homie, who run a clothing brand and, and help with youth homelessness there, with Pathway and different other schemes to like get them back into life and working in jobs. And I put on an art exhibition, me and my friend Jamie, who is this amazing visual artist. And we were doing a lot of these to try and sort of get this message into a tangible space where I'd go out and cut hair and he'd take photos of people and then paint these, these portraits on canvas. And we sell the paintings to, to raise money for the people we 
either directly within them or we give it to a local um, charity or not-for-profit. And art's like this really interesting way of, I think, having this conversation, but once removed, sometimes it can be a bit harsh, the reality of this and reading articles. And as I said before, feeling helpless and overwhelmed. It's about trying to like ignite people in another way to like see this differently. So yeah, we took that art exhibition to about six or seven different countries and and yeah, hopefully more of those in the future when the world opens. But honestly, I'm just so thrilled to be like getting back out there and cutting hair and talking to people and, and, and doing the things I'd usually do now there's opportunity to do so. If people want to follow along, where should they find you? So yeah, Joshua Coombs on Instagram at Joshua Coombs or at Do Something for Nothing. You can also check out do something for nothing.org as well, um, which just launched um, a website. And yeah, that's another way of being able to tell us what you what you've been up to. But yeah, please feel free. You know, if, if if there's anyone listening to this and you want to carry on the conversation or want to know more, just just reach out and contact me, and, and I'd love to have a chat. Oh, Josh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your beautiful book, and thank you for all the incredible work you're doing it's really really something special no honestly thank you so much i really appreciate it i really loved our conversation and thanks again thanks for listening we would love it if you left us a rating for this episode and catch up with yana for more inspiration and info on how to get to the stories that tap into your passion on instagram and facebook at the curious life podcast And if you're looking for a fabulous podcast editor or producer, use ours. Julie Reynolds will turn your audio lemons into audio lemonade. Check out audiolemonade.com.au.